Hello, and welcome to Laid Back Lush. I'm Michael, a former wine sales associate, as well as a former vineyard worker. And I am Gabe, WSCT Level 3 certified and an administrator for a wine and spirits educating body. Which is why I ask the questions, and he seems to have all the answers. About 80 to 90% of the time I have the answers. (laughs) Uh, please follow us at Laidback Lush on both Instagram and Twitter to hear all of the fresh hot takes that our internet troll decides to put up onto the interwebs for permanent record. And we do mean a, a literal troll. Uh, it's definitely not me um, at 3 a.m. thinking of really stupid things to tweet about. Couldn't be that. Which designation is sometimes dubious. But speaking of designations, this is the second part of our series on basic wine laws. In our last episode, we were covering wine laws that govern the U.S. portion of the wine industry. But in this one, as a little bit of a tribute to our German listeners, which we are very grateful for, we have decided to focus on German wine laws. So I hope that you enjoy today. I'm going to be asking a lot of questions because although I have studied this extensively, I am still confused. And so hopefully Gabe can help me clear up some of my confusion and in the course of that also help you to know how to navigate a lot of the different wine labels and what they might mean for your experience when purchasing wines from Germany. Yeah, I think uh, German wine law in particular tends to throw people off because it is a quality ranking system, as with all other old world wine systems for the most part. But there's a little bit more at play than just quality and region with Germany. And particularly people, I think, struggle with the sweetness levels of German wine because Mm -hmm. there is a lot of variability within certain designations of German wine. But uh, hopefully this episode will answer your questions and the listeners' questions. I tried to break it down as simply as possible, but it's a lot. So just, just, just be prepared. There's a lot of information that's about to come at you guys. Well, wonderful. So to get started off, could you give me a definition of PDO? And this is going to be within the realms of how quality is determined in German wine. Yeah, so PDO is how kind of globally a wine is going to, it's going to affect what's on the final label of a wine. It stands for protected designation of origin. So what that means is it's a delineated region of winemaking that has a legal definition or a legal boundary that can have additional laws about vineyard yields, um, winemaking techniques, all that fun stuff kind of wrapped up in the legality of that region itself. Uh, certain PDOs within Germany that we'll get into here in a second even get into the must weight of the grapes at harvest, which the must weight is how much sugar content is in the grapes at time of harvest. PDOs can be very specific or they can be more broad in general because they can be anything from like your land wine, which is very generic term for uh, German wine. So it's kind of like at the very, very bottom of the quality pyramid. Uh, well, actually, Deutscher wine would be the very bottom because that one has no GI at all. That's just 
a German wine. It doesn't really have any geographical indicator. But for geographical indicators, it's going to be your land wine. So that's kind of your most generic. And then it goes all the way up to even individual vineyard plots, which we'll get into here in a second. Interesting. So you can have things that are designated even from the wine plots. I'm guessing that there's some sort of hierarchy in place in order to determine which ones are of a higher quality as opposed to others. Yes and no. Vineyards are not necessarily ranked against each other in German wine law. It's more, and we will get into this more here in a second, but it is more about if your vineyard qualifies for its own legally recognized PDO, it's one of the best vineyards that's available in that region. It's been Mm -hmm. determined to be of that quality. So next we have another kind of larger term, VDP, or Verband Deutscher Prodigatsweinguter. Which I, again, apologize for my pronunciation of that. That is as best as I can do. What would that actually define? Because it's my understanding that this is going to be a more producer-centered term. Yeah, so this is a group of independent producers that came together to work outside of the Prodicat system and the Qualitatsvine system, which we are about to get into here in a second. Um So this is a group of independent producers who kind of came together and decided that they wanted a high quality wine designation that was not necessarily in the Prodicots system, which we will be getting into later on in the episode. There are kind of two uh, quality wine indicators in Germany. Qualitatsvine and Pradikatsvine, and we'll be getting into what those mean. But the VDP were or is a body of people who were under the Pradikats and Qualitatsvine system, but wanted to elevate some Qualitatsvine. So they came up with a term called Grosses Gewax. Now, Germany actually just redid their Qualitatsvine wine laws. So now that. Really? Yes. So Grosses Gewax is now under German wine law. So that term used to be kind of a VDP thing. It was where you are kind of, you're putting forward your best vineyard. It is a, it's a vineyard specific designation. That means typically you're also going to be paying a pretty penny for these wines. Dr. Lucen has a Grosses Gewachs that is incredible. It's in the 50 to 60 price range. So uh, expect to pay some money if you want to try that wine but uh it is very good though yeah this is a wine that is now legally defined though under the qualitats vine system so what is qualitats okay. so we have several quality systems that are in place mm-hmm. what would you define qualitats vine as being so qualitats vine uh if i remember correctly it, it just means uh quality wine and it's a step above your Deusterwein and your Landwein, which we talked about, which are kind of more very generic, typically regional or even country-wide designations of wine. So Qualitatswein, since it's a PDO, is going to have some stricter yield requirements. It's going to have some stricter style indicators within that typically for your higher quality designations in qualitats vine you're going to be looking at dry wines so this is something that can help solve the sweetness issue for some drinkers these are wines the higher quality ones again some of the lower quality ones can be um varying in sweetness but uh 
you can look for dry wines here, unlike in the product hots vine system where outside of the ones that are mandatory sweet, you can get dry wines within or dry to typically sweet to medium sweet within a product hot level. So let's dive into a little bit more on what I'm talking about in terms of our quality levels. So in please in descending order so we're going from top of the pyramid to the bottom of the pyramid here right now we have grosses gavox which again is your wine from a producer's best vineyard what they think is a, a best vineyard and again this is now legally like you have to get your vineyard checked out or at least from the articles i read you now are having to get your vineyard certified with the governing bodies to legally call your wine a grosses gavox now yeah yeah this this is going to be a dry wine um a, a way you can tell this from the bottle it should be on or it will be on the label it is a labeling term but it will also have a nice little gg and um some grape bunches uh embossed on the neck of the bottle very fancy very very luxurious if you will and that will be on the bottle as a way to identify a gross gavox. And this is very high quality wine. This is typically like a producer wants to put their best foot forward. So this is what they're putting forward for you. Perhaps on our Instagram, we should probably have a few slides just showing these, uh, maybe with some captions just to say, hey, this is this is the label that you're looking for on these kind of higher tier wines. Mm -hmm. uh, so please follow us on Instagram at laidbacklush if you would like to see what these wine labels look like. Yes, please do. So that's your Grosses Gavox. Then we have our Erstes Gavox or Erstes Gavox. I don't know. Again, I'm not a German speaker myself. Uh, that lineage uh, is been watered down a lot in my <laughs> ancestry tree. So this is very similar to your Grosses Gavox, but uh, it has less stringent requirements. It's a little bit looser on your maximum yields. Might not have to be as ripe, for example. Things like that. This is still a dry style of wine. This is still a, a high quality dry wine but just not quite at at the top level like the grosses gavox are going to be then we have our einzelage which is a vineyard designation just like uh, our erstes gavox and our grosses gavox but it has even less stringent requirements it must have at least cabinet must wait now cabinet is in the product system it is kind of the um the lowest level of the Pradikots system, which means it has the least amount of sugar that must be in the grapes at harvest. So what does that mean? That means it's going to be kind of your earliest ripening grapes that are feasible yeah. to put into a wine. Because a lot of these have to do with just how high your yields can be, how late the harvest will be. Yes. For an Einzelage wine, the vineyard does have to appear on the label. And these can be a varying sweetness. Under our Erstes Gavox, you can have varying sweetness, to my understanding. Okay. Then we get to our Ortswein, which is a village designation. So if you're familiar with France, there's a lot of regions that will have village appellations, um, Beaujolais, Burgundy. Village just means quite literally a village, not quite a, a region-wide appellation. It's more narrow, but it's not as um, typically considered to be high quality as like a individual vineyard or, or producer driven wine. So the village does have to appear on the label for your Orts vine. And then we have a regional wine, which that will just have whatever the wine growing region was. 
for our regions, which can be, I'm going to say, Ambalga Biete for that. I am so sorry to any German listeners that come across this. Uh, these are the 13 designated growing regions of Germany. So our 13 regions are uh, our, our big regions from Germany. We have R, we have Baden, we have Franken, we have Hessische, Bergstraße, Bergstraße. <laughs> then Mittelrhein. Uh, yeah, Mit- Mittelrhein, mostly, yeah. We have Nahe, we have Falls, we have Rheingau, Rhein-Hessen, Saal-Unstrut, Sachsen, Sachsen, and Württemberg. 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 <laughs> Again, we are so sorry. <laughs> we are so sorry. Literally the only well, I know how to say a couple of things in German, but again, as I mentioned in our last episode, it is all how to ask people how to dance and also how to complain. So those are those are the things I know how to do, you know. So was du mich mir dansen and gestern habe ich habe nicht sehr gut geschlafen. That's all I know how to do, and I'm fairly sure that I'm butchering those as well. <laughs> But that being said, they must come from one of these 13 growing regions. Yeah. A lot of people will recognize Mosel or Mosel because that does produce some of the more sweet styles of wine that a lot of people are used to seeing. Many are very popular here in the U.S. So if you don't recognize the other ones, don't feel intimidated. They all have very unique traits to them. It has to come from one of these areas. Yeah, because there was already enough information in this episode. I didn't put down the grapes that are grown in Germany. I typically, for what's exported, you're going to see a lot of Riesling. There are some other grapes. They do grow Pinot Noir. They call it, um, oh shoot, I don't remember. There's a German name for Pinot Noir. You'll find Blauburgunder. That is what Pinot Noir is called in Austria. I was, I think that that's what they also call it in Germany, but I need mm-hmm. to be corrected. Uh, actually, hold on. Is it Spapergunder? I think in Germany it's Spapergunder. Um, yeah. You know what? Who knows if this will make it in? But saying all that to say, there's a lot of grapes. Yeah. Um, but do know that for these regions, they will have grapes that are legally allowed to be produced and labeled within those regions. Yeah. Riesling for most of them. But again, you can have other grapes in there as well. So just and to reiterate, and- just to reiterate real quick, we've gone over how you can have these drier wines. Uh, one misconception that I commonly ran into when I was working shop was that people thought that Riesling was always going to be something that was particularly sweet. Now, you're still going to be able to smell a lot of stone fruit in a lot of these wines, but just because it's a Riesling does not necessarily mean that you're going to have a high level of sweetness. So if you find yourself enjoying the smell of Riesling, which includes those stone fruits and in some cases even the petrol aroma if it's been aged, then these quality indicators and the these labels are going to be able to help you to navigate what it is that you're getting out of these, which can include high quality dry wines, which is one of the reasons why this is an important topic. Yeah. So moving on from our regional labels, we do have one more uh, labeling term that can show up for your Qualitats vine. That's Gavon or Gavonin, which is just the plural of Gavon. This is an individual plot of vines within a vineyard in an Erste's Gavox or a Gross's Gavox. So if you see Gavon on the label, that means it's even more specific than a vineyard. It's actual individual vines within a vineyard that they really think are uh, like the top quality that they can be producing. 
So if you see that, that's what that means. Again, you're probably going to pay a uh, pretty penny for that. But hey, if you have the money and you're curious, why not? So moving on from our Qualitats Vine system, or well, I guess technically not moving on, but moving up maybe, because the Prodicats Vine system forgot what the direct translation is, but it's basically like very high quality compared to Qualitats mm. Vine, which is just high quality or quality wine. So this is kind of supposed to sit at the top of your pyramids, but with the introduction of Grosses Gavox into the Qualitas Vine wine law, I don't know if that distinction still really holds up. I, I would need to do more reading on it because, again, Grosses Gavox used to be an individual body that was outside of the German wine law itself that was giving um, a quality indicator, but that is now legal. So again, I, I don't know how much this dichotomy still exists. But what is a Prodicat? A Prodicat is a level within the Prodicat's vine system that is determined by our Ausschle, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, which is the must weight of the grape at harvest time. So again, just to reiterate, grape must weight is the amount of sugar in that grape when it is picked. Yeah. Now, what that indicates is not what your brain might leap to initially, which is sweetness. It's indicative of ripeness of the grape because you can still get a wine with a high grape must weight unless it's like a noble rot wine, which does pop up in this system, you can still ferment a full dryness. And some of these wines do. So, and this is where my questions actually really start and end. Is this more talking about alcohol potential from the fermentable sugars as well as profile as far as how ripe your fruits are going to be in the final product alcohol yes to a degree it's more about the second half of what you said which is the style and profile of the final wine Okay. So when you're first harvesting the grapes, the lateness of the harvest or how ripe they are, the reason why they are holding off or not holding off is in order to create a specific profile, which is lesser, more ripe tasting. So riper stone fruits to, yes. as an example. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, um, it, it will affect the final alcohol, obviously, as well, but because there is variability in the sweetness style of the base of this pyramid the first couple prodicots that's not always a reliable indicator what you can do is when you look at a label and you see a specific prodicot if you're looking at a prodicot's vine bottle you can look at the alcohol content and think to yourself okay so this is like an auslesa which is supposed to be very ripe and it's only like a 10 or 11 percent alcohol you probably have a decent amount of residual sugar left in that wine oh i forgot to mention this uh Qualitats Vine, legally, I, I don't know about Grosses Gavox, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, I doubt that they would allow for capitalization, but for your um, lower-level designations under the Qualitats Vine system, you are allowed to do capitalization. Again, if you mm. don't remember, capitalization is the process of adding sugar before a fermentation starts to bump up the alcohol of a wine. I see. It is not normally to add sweetness to a wine. But as far as the wines themselves, you're capping off the level of alcohol at around 15% because past that, you're not really going to have yeast activity anymore. Yeah, the, the yeast will die off after a certain point. But for the Prodicat system, there is no capitalization allowed at all. 
Okay, so if you have a Prodicots vine and mm-hmm. you have something that is a an Oslis and it's upwards of 13 to 14%, because of the fact that you know that it caps at 15%, and you know that this is a riper style, you could assume that because it's approaching that cap, this is going to be a drier wine. Yeah, so it does require a little bit of critical thinking, but you can kind of start to gauge your sweetness level of these wines based off of that. So let's get into the pyramid. This is going from lowest must weight to highest must weight. All right, so we're starting off with our cabinet. Cabinet is typically going to be your lightest style, your kind of most um, refreshing, not super complex. I mean, still, it's it's a quality wine. It's considered to be a quality wine. So it's going to have decent complexity, but it is going to be not quite as as rich as our subsequent styles. Then we have our Spate Lesa. You can expect some stone fruit to start creeping in. Maybe some tropical fruit, but that's where uh, after Spate Lesa, we have Auslesa, which is where you can start expecting that like tropical fruit. You can expect very rich wines in this category. And these three can be dry to medium sweet. Auslesa can go to fully sweet. Most Auslesa will not be dry as well. I think it can be dry legally, but it's not normally. Cabinet and Space Lesa, or Spate Lesa, sorry, are where you're going to be finding your more, if they're dry, they're probably going to be in one of those two. Then we move on to our styles that are just sweet. That is what the styles are. That starts with Bären Auslesa, or Bären Auslesa, sorry, I think is how you pronounce it. Bären Auslesa typically has a measure of noble rot affected grapes in the wine, which is part of what gives it that sweetness. And also a little bit of funk. A little bit of funk. If you remember, if you listen to our Sweet Wines episode, I would recommend it if you are new to the podcast and you don't know what Noble Rot is, because we did go more into it there. Essentially, it is a mold that dehydrates the grapes on the vine, and that concentrates the sugars and makes for a sweeter wine. And it does have its own flavor that it imparts to the wine. That's what Michael was referring to with the kind of funkiness. I love funk in my wine. That's, oh, yeah. That's just the whole deal of it. Yeah. Uh, Noble Rot wines are delicious. I, I love them. So after beer in Auslesa, then we go into our ice vine. If that sounds like ice wine to you, that's because that's essentially what it is. Again, ice wine, listen to our sweet wines episode to know more about it, but it is grapes that are frozen on the vine and then crushed and made into a wine from frozen grapes. You know, something I didn't mention to you actually during our Sweet Wines episode was that the first time I had ice vine was while I was working on that vineyard. Oh, really? Yeah. And it was quite the experience because working on that vineyard, that was the first time that I ever had, well, alcohol to begin with, but yeah. especially wine. Yeah. So having an ice wine for the first time was a shock to the system because you have this thick raisin-like sweetness Mm -hmm. that is so different from anything else that I had been served up until that point. It is quite the experience. Definitely a a desserts dessert wine. This is not something that you can just casually drink as, uh, as far as like gulping it down or anything like that. Not that I recommend that for any wine. Yeah, but this in particular, 
And especially at small the price sips. point that you're going to be paying for most ice vines as well. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, most of them are sold in bottles that look like artisan organic olive oil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're easily recognizable, but you have to get them super chilled mm-hmm. and serve them and take small sips. And that is really the only way to enjoy them. That's the way that I enjoyed. Yeah. Small glasses, please. <laughs> I have, I have super cute glasses that I use also for port that I like to serve them in. So yeah. that's that's how I like doing that. Yeah, so after Ice Vine and the final level of our Pradikots, so the, the most must wait at harvest is going to be our Trockenberenastresa, which is going to be pretty much entirely noble rot affected grapes. That is why the must wait is so high on these wines, because they're so dehydrated. Have you ever had a Trockenberenastresa? No. Neither have I. They're very rare. We really need to get our hands on that. Yeah, um, they're not made every year because conditions don't always work out for them to happen every year, and they're very expensive. Maybe after we can uh, start getting some income <laughs> off the podcast. Maybe maybe after uh, we also get you one of the Borrego Mezcals as well. Yes, yes. I'm still a little bit upset that you didn't uh, bring me a sample. That definitely would not have been legal to do, but still, sacrifice for your friends, Michael. I mean, I definitely <laughs> went to a place where it was completely legal in every single way. Yeah, but you didn't it, tell me you so. were going or that you were going to try it. Yeah, well, I didn't know it was an option at the time, so <laughs> so there's that. But uh, But I will say to our listeners who did enjoy our Mezcal episode... It is the most unique spirits experience I have ever had in my life. Well, maybe we should talk about that in another episode. So uh, that's kind of all I have for my notes for for German wine law. Michael, were there any questions that you still had or that you think the listeners might have? Um, As far as the grape varietals themselves, so if I end up showing up anywhere are these terms going to be universal across grape varietals yes and that's kind of the tricky part okay so if i were to go in for like a gewurztraminer then i could still expect similar sweetness levels depending on the designations that you've given yes yeah these these laws are again they're pdo laws right so they are affecting a, a region so whatever that region legally grows that's what those laws are governing if you have a Gewürztraminer, Auslese, again, there is wiggle room within the sweetness level, but you can expect it to be similar to like a Riesling Auslese. Okay, so there is similarity between those things mm-hmm. as far as the labeling is considered. That's something that I think is really important to know, especially if you're planning something. Now, Riesling, as far as their aging goes, now we've we've talked about this in another episode, but if somebody were going in, is there any quality indicators that could be brought to the forefront about whether or not an aged Riesling was of a higher quality? Um, For your German wines, your Grosses Gewox and your Erstes Gewox, I think, would be probably pretty good candidates for aging. Auslese might age decently. The thing with Riesling is Riesling overall tends to lend itself well if the wine is made for aging. It does tend to lend itself well to aging because Riesling has high acidity. That acts as a preservative in a wine, in the bottle. Sugar will also act as a preservative. So some of your sweeter styles, like your Baron Auslese, your Trockenbaren Auslese, 
those will hold. I don't know if the sweet styles will necessarily improve with age because the amount of effort that goes into particularly noble rot wines is already so intense that the winery is going to treat them very carefully during the production process and what they release for sale is probably what they really want to showcase so they'll definitely hold i would imagine for most producers because if you're going to bother making these wines you're going to make them well so I imagine they would hold. I don't know if they would necessarily improve too, too much with age. I'm not familiar enough with German wines to really know the same way of like a Bordeaux, what really ages well. So that's a little bit out of my depth, but those are my best guesses, I guess I'll say for Riesling, German Riesling at least. Now, a lot of the wines that are coming into the U.S., they've been selected from a bunch of other wines by wine buyers themselves. So you can typically expect that if you're going to be paying around $20 for a Riesling or a Gewürztraminer, you're going to be getting fairly high quality stuff. Knowing what we've just given you about quality indicators on the bottle that hopefully we've been able to describe to you a method of recognizing things that are going to give you a little bit more value for your experience. I will say for um for the $20 price point, I agree that you'll probably be getting a quality wine, but you're probably going to be getting a quality wine from one of the lower level uh, either on the product cost Vine or the Qualitats vine system, you're probably going to be oh, absolutely uh, lower levels because uh, once you start getting up in the German quality scales, you do start to hit some pretty expensive wine. Yeah, they they can demand a premium. I would say below twenty dollars, that's when you're basically at rock rock bottom yeah. of quality that you're going to expect. And also, it. <sighs> It's difficult. I think I actually mentioned this in an early episode, but it is difficult to find dry German wines in the United States sometimes. I mean, obviously, if you have a good shop, they probably have some some good dry wines. It is very difficult, though, especially yeah. since California Rieslings are typically going to be ranging from sweet to very sweet. Yeah, uh, and a large part of that is because Germany likes to keep all of their dry wines for themselves. <laughs> Uh, and because they know the American market likes sweet wines overall, they send us all their sweet wine. So... I would say for German wine in particular, try and avoid, unless you have a, a, a grocery store with a solid selection, like our Wegmans has a really good selection of German wine. It's not super extensive, but what they have is solid. I would recommend probably trying to find a smaller local shop that you can ask the staff about what the wines are like. Just so you know, if you want a dry German wine, if you want a sweet German wine, you're probably safe picking not a random bottle per se, but given what you know from this episode, hopefully you can know that what you're buying might hit the spot for you in that regard. Yeah, a couple of places that I know have a decent selection of German wines are going to be places like uh, Once Upon a Vine, if they're still open, as well as Total Wine has a decent selection. And also, I don't quite remember the sweet wine selection or even the German wine selection that was at second bottle. Uh, do you happen to remember? They had some German wines, but I didn't look terribly close at them. 
we need to take a closer look at their selection because they have quality things. Yeah. The, the main things we looked for the last time we were there were the Sherry's, and then we kind of gauged the quality of their selections based on the Bordeaux's that they had available, which resounding yes on everything that they selected. I took a, a brief peek at some of the other wines, like their local Virginia selection. That was pretty solid. So uh, yeah, I imagine they probably have a, a pretty good German selection. So those are places that we would recommend going to take a look. Uh, definitely ask the staff about it and see what you think about it. Yeah. That being said, though, those are the basic designations. Hopefully you're able to explore German wine with a little bit more confidence as you are planning out your experiences and your meals. Uh, please uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to add, Gabe? Uh, nothing I can think of. Fantastic. Well, we are going to be returning with some more old wine laws in our next episode. Uh, hopefully, we are able to bring you some good quality content, and hopefully, I am feeling better as this is our second episode being done remotely. So, we apologize for any awkwardness that that has incurred. Uh, but in any case, I have been Michael. I have been Gabe. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>